Hello and welcome to the Yoga Life Podcast. My name is Kevin. I am a yoga teacher. I am someone who likes to have conversations with people that inspire me and hopefully they inspire you too. One of those people is Brian Keane. He was actually a guest on his podcast about two years ago on episode four. And I got a special place in my heart for Brian because when I was given the opportunity when I first started teaching yoga to teach at Wellfest, which is a big festival here in Ireland, Brian was also teaching. And he actually took the time to stop me in Wellfest and say hello. Uh, and I was flabbergasted because I've been listening to his podcast for a while. I mean, his podcast is huge. He's got three million downloads. He's an author. He's um, he's phenomenal on social media because he's he's like the king of enthusiasm. I mean, the guy has ran six back-to-back marathons uh, through the Sahara Desert in Morocco. So he's a powerhouse in terms of keeping going. And we talked about fitness because that is his field, but we also talked about mindset and about dieting, about healthy weight and um, trying to live a truthful life, especially in the age of social media. One of the things we talk about actually is including family members or choosing not to include family members in social media accounts. So it gets uh, pretty interesting. I Speaking to Brian is always a joy because he's full of life and I hope you really enjoyed this episode. If you've got any questions for me or for Brian about this, you can reach out to us. If you enjoyed the episode, please feel free to leave a review on iTunes. And without further ado, here is the man himself, Brian Keane. Brian, how are you? I am fantastic, Kev. I am looking forward to chatting and catching up. It's been a while. It's been a while. It has been a while, mate. It's been, I'll tell you how long it's been exactly, uh, July 2018. That's no way. No, that's two years. That's two years. Yeah. yeah. Man, it doesn't feel like that long ago, man. Fair play on the podcast and everything you've been doing since then. But I can't believe it's been that long since we were chatting. And you, mate, I, I, you've, your your downloads have really sharp, man. Uh, you've been you've been smashing it as well. And since I spoke to you, a, a new book, well, two new books, uh, well, definitely one new book, a rewire your mindset. Um, so you've been a busy man. Yeah, yeah, I've um, <laughs> rewired your mindset. I've been really lucky with that book. It's done really, really well since it came out. Feedback's been incredible with people. Um, just because I, I kind of used the f- message that I got from the first book, the fitness mindset. So, you know, I, I can't remember mm. if we talked about that last time, but the, did, yeah. the fitness element was the first half of the book and the mindset element was the second half. And I just took that because the amount of feedback I got, like reading the Amazon reviews, talking to people online, it was the mindset stuff that really jumped out at people. So when I wrote Rewire Your Mindset, I basically took a lot of those underlying principles and philosophies and just expanded massively on them. Um, so the feedback's been incredible. So uh, yeah, long may mm. it last. I've been, that has been probably the hardest, I won't say the hardest thing. It's definitely been something that I've spent the most time on because it was about an 18-month writing process from kind of start to finish and delighted with the end result, delighted with the feedback from people. Um, so yeah, I've had a good couple of years, no more than yourself. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, mate. It seems like at the moment, well, maybe I don't know for a while anyway. Uh, the mindset, the need for people to address their mindset or to to be coached essentially goes way beyond sport. It goes, and this is something that we would often associate with more of an Americanized market. But I think that um, we are becoming more optimistic now. We realize that our mind is so powerful, and especially. In the last few months, I won't I won't say the c word, but the um, the thing that's been happening to the whole world, it, it's people now more than ever. I imagine need more of a, even more encouragement to realise that maybe they can start taking a bit more accountability. We can start taking more accountability, and we don't always have to be uh, triggered, or we don't always have to be uh, a victim to what's in the media and and constantly reacting to that. We can kind of take control of our of our own destiny yeah one of the things that's been coming a lot through my social media over the last three months in particular with the world on lockdown is people who picked up the book the audiobook the physical book and were messaging about the empowerment they felt the book gave them and i saved a lot of them i've got a what i call like a downsday folder in my 
um, inbox on my phone. Like, I'm not sure if you get these, Kev, but like days when you're just not feeling very good, you're feeling a little bit lacking in confidence. You're you're like, am I sure? Am I even? Why am I bothering? Um, so thankfully, those days are not as often. They don't come that frequently anymore. But I saved so many of those DMs and messages that I've been getting from people who have read the book and have taken back the fact that. It doesn't really matter what's going on in the external world. It's your mindset that determines everything. And I think as an Irish and kind of an English culture, you know, I lived for four years in London. I lived in America as well. We're, I think, starting to realize that it's our internal world and our mindset and the way we see things literally is painting the entire world for us so it doesn't matter what happens on the outside and things i talk about in the book things i talk about on my podcast about you know dealing with negativity dealing with negative people all of these things it's like none of that really matters because it's your internal state that's the important thing because if you're feeling content if you're feeling happy if you're feeling fulfilled and whatever it is you're doing those external comments and say the external things happening in the world tend to not bother you as much and yeah. you are able to put a lot more of a positive spin on it one of the things that i've been telling people i've been working with in say my fitness programs my business programs etc is like the three-month lockdown and i know we're coming out of that now is you know there's a crisis there but with the chinese word for crisis is opportunity and danger i'm like it's a split word and we know what the danger is like we've been it's been bombarded on the news media it's been bombarded with you online but there's opportunity as well and that's just a mindset and everything going forward it's always worth seeing right this is a potential problem and i think problems and opportunities are two sides of the same coin that where some person or one person will see a problem someone else will see an opportunity and vice versa and i think that mm. all comes down to your mindset and how you see things and i again as somebody that has struggled <laughs> more than anybody like to be honest between you and me kev like even if nobody bought the book but my mum it would have been worth writing just to have to dive into some of the topics that i covered that helped me process some of the issues that i had when it came to building confidence when it came to worrying about what people thought about me when it came to dealing with negativity and hurtful comments and if 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 i'd only sold one copy of that book to my mom or to my sister it would have been worth writing for the process that i had to go through in order to get the book from start to finish um so it's an interesting one and i think that's why it's connecting so much with people because you can read it or listen to it and people are like oh this is this is raw like in parts in terms of i don't pull any punches that's probably one of the reasons I have uh, probably a mixed audience online where I can be marmite to some people, you know, some people love me, some people hate me. It's because I generally don't sugarcoat things. So if you need sugarcoating, I'm probably not your best fit because um, mm. I tend to try and say things as they are just because that's how I like people to approach me and talk to me. And the book has a lot of that. It's, it's calling you out on this is the reason you might be feeling this way. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, if you're feeling insecure, there's no problem with feeling insecure, but you have to own that and you have to identify that and take responsibility for it. And the whole premise of the book, the subtitle is own it, control it, change it. And I'm a mm -hmm. big believer in, you know, the example I give in the book and a little bit in the first one is on anxiety. I've suffered for the last, not so much the last two years, thankfully, but for the previous 10, just an ungodly amount of anxiety, like that 800 pound gorilla in the room. And it's a trade-off, like that type A personality, the trade-off of the positive of anxiety is you tend to get a lot of stuff done because you're in this kind of hyper go, go, go state. But the negative trade-off is you're feeling anxious and stressed all the time. And until I was able to like take responsibility for that and own that, I was able to take it back in my control and change it. And it's difficult to say, yeah, I've got an issue with my mental health or I've got an issue with my anxiety or I've got an issue with my weight or I've got an issue with this, that or the other. Nobody wants to admit their faults per se. But when you do that, it's back in your control. And then when it's in your control, you can change it. And I think that mindset can be very, very helpful for people because it transcends different areas of health, fitness, you know, yoga, mindset. There's so many different areas because success leaves clues. And when you take responsibility for, those, for something and you own it and it's back in your control, then you can change it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is, the goal is going to be social challenges uh, when it comes to managing anxiety. But I'm curious about if there's any relationship between your your gut say i mean and your literal gut you know the, supposedly there are way more neurotransmitters in your gut than actually in your brain as in the gut 
and our health of our gut really affects our mental health. I know that around the time we spoke, there was an article when we first spoke on the podcast about uh, in the Irish Independent about your IBS when you were a teen and in your early twenties. Did that have any effect on your mental health, your your gut uh, issues? Oh, hundred percent. Like in. The first book, The Fitness Mindset, I talked about that in the anxiety section about your food choices and that piece mm-hmm. you're talking about with the independent on the IBS. Um, like I've since, like I'm very heavy, you know, kind of qualified nutritionist. That's my area of, of space. So in terms of the evidence approach, I'll always kind of try and find or disprove hypotheses or ideas that I have. And over the last two years, I really started to dive into the literature around gut microbiome. And I think it's like 95% of your serotonin, which is your you know happy hormone, for the lack of a better term, is producing your gut. So if you have an issue with your gut microbiome because you either have you know leaky gut or you're having an inflammatory response to foods that you're eating or you have an intolerance or you have an allergy that you're not aware of and there's a breakdown in you know, anywhere along the line of your microbiome, your small intestine, etc., that can have a negative effect on your mood. And I, I still, that, thankfully, over the last two years, I think it's coincided with both because I never want to be, you know, man with a hammer. You know, like the the old Bible adage. I'm, I'm far from religious, but I do love some of the adages from the Bible that you know, to the man with a hammer, the whole world looks like a nail. And so mm. I never want to tear all anxiety with fix your mindset and you'll be fine or tear all anxiety with fix your gut and you'll be fine because i think there's um crossovers you know different horses for different courses different people will have different problems and mine was definitely a combination of both it was my gut wasn't as optimized or functioning as well as it could have been so i've done a lot of things over the years i eliminated certain foods that were triggers for me particularly the ibs foods and like red wine is one for me um certain sugars certain foods starches wheat flour foods like that to just wreck my stomach in terms of um not so much ibs because ibs for the most part is kind of psychosomatic in terms of stress relation but definitely leaky gut in terms of um the, you know particles leaking out through my gut and having a negative response to that so i removed a lot of those foods i started adding in more prebiotic foods i drink a lot of kombucha now i use a extra strength probiotic that's super eight gold by udo's choice no affiliation yes. no link with those i just think they're an amazing probiotic and mm. i've done a lot of work i brought people on my podcast Dr. Megan Rossi, um, Orla Walsh, uh, mm, Dr. James yeah. Lavelle, gut microbiome experts. And one of the selfish things, and you know this, Kev, of having a podcast is you get to ask questions that you want to know. Um, so I was able to dive into a lot of that and I would read their books and then I would follow up with them on the podcast. So that gave me a lot of information on at least what to practice and test right now that could help. And over the last two years, even since we spoke last, I've thankfully my digestion has been the best it's ever been my energy levels have been the best it's ever been that's a beautiful byproduct of fixing your digestion you know one of my mentors used to always tell me that it's not about what you eat it's about what you absorb and if you're not Mm. if there's a problem with your gut microbiome and you're not absorbing all the vitamins and minerals and nutrients from the foods that you're eating it doesn't matter if you're eating the best diet on the planet you're not absorbing it and once i got that fixed and it wasn't an easy process it took a couple of months and to be honest probably closer to a couple of years to really get it dialed in um but then i aligned that with fixing my mindset and using some of the you know the techniques i talk about in my podcast and my book taking ownership of everything taking control of things asking the why well you know why am i feeling anxious why am i feeling stressed why am i feeling that I'm not worthy of this thing and digging into these uncomfortable questions. And I think that combination between the two has really helped me. And I, again, I'm not sure how helpful that is for people listening or for you, Kev, but that's what I've done in terms of my journey. Yeah, no, I, I think any problem, if it's approached in a holistic way, can be solved a lot quicker than trying to um, thinking more localized and more short term. For example, um, say like if you have a, a, a knee injury, sometimes it's not even the knee that actually is the problem. It could be the hip or the ankle, the part of the body that's compensating. Essentially, the knee is doing the work of the hip or the ankle because they can't do the work. And that, But often in maybe Western medicine, we look at a problem, we go, we think the problem is in the problem area, but it may be outside of that. Same way with like Rachel, we're about to, we're having our first baby in a few months. Oh, congrats. And- that's amazing. <laughs> Thanks a lot. And I'm learning so much, man, about like pregnancy. And I used to think it was just, 
you know, you get pregnant and then you just wait until the baby starts to want to come out and then you go to the hospital and that's it. I didn't realize there was a, the whole process about going to antenatal classes and stuff, but essentially Rach has taken a real holistic approach to it. She's changed what she's eating. We're both now doing a pretty much a non-sugar diet, as in uh, we are doing like no fruit, only berries, um and that can be strawberries blueberries blackberries pretty much like low gi so low on the glycemic index and brian it's been like we're we're like two uh crackheads you know <laughs> we're just like oh like we it's almost like you know in father ted when dougal sees uh or, or father ted sees dougal as a cigarette because he's, he's giving up smoking <laughs> for lent yeah. it's like that like rachel be talking to me and i can see a, a cake talking or whatever and, but trying to quit sugar is it's it's like um coming off a, 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 a drug that's what it is like because sugar is so powerful and we, we we were doing so well and then obviously the lockdown happened and we started ordering stuff from just eat you know getting takeaways and then we started getting chocolate bars once a week and then it become once a day and then you know one chocolate bar after every meal and it just spiraled out of control did you find during lockdown that um you fell off the wagon at all oh, i'm gonna sound like such a dick now uh no <laughs> um, oh, <laughs> I, I, um no i didn't um if, I, if i'm being completely honest and i don't want to sit here and be like yeah i now I, I did feel the lows in terms of where you miss people and the normal routine. I I did feel that at times, but I was able to bring myself out of that quite quickly because you would recognize that downward spiral. Um, But no, I didn't fall off track with my Mm. nutrition or training even because, to be honest, one of the advantages to... Personally, I, I fall into the bracket of people that loves to work out. Like, I love training. I love fitness. And something I'll do until the day I die. And because of that, it doesn't matter if the world is in lockdown, I'll still train. It doesn't matter. And I tell people this when I go abroad or if I go on holidays. Like, I'm that person. I sound like such a twat when I say this. But I'm that person that will get up at, you know, five or six on holiday, go to the gym for an hour and then go to the beach and then go and do the holiday stuff. Like, I love training. I love working out. And because of that, the only time... I've ever recognized where my diet really gets bad is when I'm not working out. Um, And that's a combination of, you know, a drop in endorphins from not working out and then you're looking for sugar and you're looking for foods to try and replace what you're missing from your workouts. Um, So I'm very conscious of my habits and keeping and recognizing good habits such as working out regularly because that keeps me in alignment or keeps me in focus with my diet and my diet generally doesn't it's the same all year round like I don't it's funny what you say there you know yourself and Rachel like I I don't have a restrictive diet I have foods that I like I eat the same things every day but like I eat you know a 90 gram chocolate bar every day you know I love chocolate um Mm -hmm. so I have that every single day without fail and then sometimes on Saturdays you know if me and Holly are watching my daughter or watching a movie I might have ice cream and something as well but I have it. I don't restrict myself. You know, if I want to have a beer or if I want to have, you know, a glass of brandy is my poison. I'm not a whiskey drinker. I drink brandy, but Mm. I'll have it. So I don't have those restrictions on my diet, but I also don't go crazy with it. Like, and one of the messages that I try and promote on my channels, like, again, it's massively dependent on the person, but is a biscuit isn't a bad food probably isn't the best thing to have the whole packet it's like a mars bar isn't necessarily a bad thing but if you have the family size seven or eight bars that's probably not going to be super helpful so Mm. i think a a moderation approach can help but it's totally dependent on the person and also you know as you mentioned there it's totally different in your circumstance you know if you're looking to do a more holistic approach reduce sugar and then you're doing it in support of rachel as well so she's doing the same thing and you're doing it together that's different because there's a different end goal there there's a different priority to why you're doing it or why you were doing it for a period of time and i think lockdown can sometimes be a when lockdown or anything that disrupts your normal life's pattern can be a very helpful reminder of where there's cracks in your system in your life. Meaning that mm. if the world goes on lockdown and you fall off diet, there's something in your diet that's causing you to want to fall off it. So 
I didn't fall off training. I didn't fall off diet because I don't have a restrictive diet. I eat what I want for the most part, even though I try and stick to some basic principles with mostly whole foods, etc. And the same as working out. I enjoy that. But what I did find was I got a little bit anxious on lockdown you know there was periods of time when I would get anxious because I wasn't seeing people for days or what especially in the beginning but like I was able to pull myself out of that I have enough tools in my arsenal now that if I could I can recognize as soon as I'm feeling that oh you're feeling a bit on edge you're not very grounded now you're up in your head which is for me the the kind of the the physiological and the physical symptoms of I'm about to feel a mild anxiety attack so I can recognize that in advance and I have enough tools to stop that happening and that points out one of the weaknesses. I was like, if you would ask me pre-lockdown, how's your mindset? I'm like, it's bulletproof. I'm like, my mental health is brilliant. But now having came through three months of lockdown and having to still use some of those tools for anxiety, I'm like, it's not as strong as I thought it was. I now have feedback that that still needs work. And I think everybody will have a version of that. For you, you know, it might be the nutrition side, it might be the diet side, that what you're doing might not have been the most sustainable thing for you long-term because Mm -hmm. as soon as, you know, rubber hit the road, you went off it. And I think we all have a version of that, training, nutrition, our mindset, you know, whatever it is. But it's feedback and that's a positive thing because now you can improve on it and you can shore up that system. You know, it's like a leak. You know, if there's a dam, a bridge and there's a leak in it, as long as you know there's a leak, you can put your thumb in it for now until you can kind of plaster over it again. So it's all feedback. So I didn't have the nutrition and fitness fall downs that some other people have, but I did have some little bit of mental health issues at times again nothing too bad because i have those tools that i can pull from but i do think it's helpful and it's valuable feedback for anyone listening who may have fallen off the wagon in whatever area for the last few months that you might need a better system or a better nutritional plan or a better training program or a better uh, tool or strategies that you use for your mindset going forward because you've got feedback that that might not be as strong as you potentially thought prior to lockdown yeah the the mental side of it is so difficult because i mean i mean just with food now because food is something to be enjoyed and i think that when you and it's a social thing as well and when you go from i mean me and rach essentially said right next time we go to dun stores we're not buying any of the stuff we we bought last week we're buying berries and and it was too drastic of a change it was too cold turkey and we realized that because then we were just Brian, I could, I found it so hard to concentrate, man. I'm just like working because I want, I was thinking about sugar uh, <laughs> and it, and that's going to happen. You know, that I'm sure you experienced this and not you, I mean, you with your clients, but that happens probably a lot in January and people are like, right, new year, new me. And it's too harsh, the, the change as opposed to it being gradual or being some compromise. Yeah. One of the biggest mistakes people make, myself included in the past, thankfully, once you're kind of made aware of it, it's easier to not make the mistake again. But one of the biggest mistakes I see, and you use January as an example, and I think this happens all through the year. It can, ha- it can also happen now, kind of June, July, summertime, where people make too many changes at once. And that is a recipe for failure off the bat. Like if you go from never tracking your calories or watching what you eat and not working out to tracking every calorie or jumping on a diet or eating all salad and broccoli and going to the gym five or six days a week when you never went before, like you are not going to be able to stick to that. There is a very, very, very small percentage of people, and I'm also not in that bracket of people who could potentially work well with that. I know even myself, if if I make too many changes too soon, I can't Mm. stick to it. You know, I had literally this morning, Kev, I was uh, chatting to one of the girls who ironically used to be a teacher with me back when I back when I used to be a primary school teacher. We were in teaching college together, and she was listening to the audio version of Rewire Your Mindset. And obviously, because we're friends, we're kind of chatting back and forth on it. And she was giving me great feedback. Now, it was perfect for her because some of the stories I use in the book, because I was a teacher, she knew me. She was there at the time when I was living it, so it connected with her very deeply. But I remember she was like, I finished the book today these are all the changes I'm going to make. And she sent me a bulletproof list. And I'm like, okay, look, if you want my honest answer, I'm like, if you make all of these changes right now, you're going to fail on probably all of them. I was like, what I would do is start with one, you know? So one of her examples was there's a no complaining challenge in the book. So 30 days, no complaining challenge. And she was like, she had the 30 day, no complaining challenge. 
she had the nutrition which is just in her like health quadrant there's a section in the book that's health wealth love and fulfillment so like your four quadrants on you know potentially the things that could make you happy in what you're doing and she was like i'm going to cut out um you know the amount of foods that i'm eating i'm eating way too much comfort eating i'm going to start working out more and this, this list went on for like seven bullet points and i said look tilly you have to just pick one i was like pick one now focus oh phone addiction was another one and i was like pick one now i was like focus on that and then move on to the next thing i'm like that's how you it, it, it's it figure, it's like building a wall you know the analogy i use in the book is like the great wall of china like every time i think uh a goal is too big i think about the great wall of china i just picture that i'm like that wall was built with one brick laid on top with another brick <laughs> done repeatedly one after the other and mm. I always think about that when I'm thinking about setting a new goal for myself or if it's a big goal. I'm like, you have to focus on the brick. You have to focus on one thing first. And then as you build momentum, you can keep going. And when people make too many changes too soon, and there's nothing wrong with that. We all do it, Kev. Like, we've all made that mistake in the past. Like, I've done it myself. Like, Jesus, I've made so many mistakes. Like, when I think back of some of my romantic relationships, like, you know, I'm just like, oh, my God, what were you doing? You eejit. Like, you know, <laughs> and that's it. I, I would go from, like, zero to ten. I would, like, go from not having a partner, not having a girlfriend, to seeing them every hour of every day. And then, mm. it, for whatever reason, it wouldn't work out because that is not a very healthy way to have any relationship. <laughs> and, and, but yet I did it. And I, I made the mistake over and over again. And, you know, the thing I talk about in my podcast is, like you can only be hitting the head so often before you wonder why your head hurts. I'm like, you can only make the same mistake so often before you initially go, right, there's a common denominator here. I'm like, the same mistake is happening. All I'm doing is inserting an, a different person in here. And I use that example for people with their diets. If you're jumping from diet to diet to diet or from gym to gym to gym or from yoga instructor to yoga instructor to yoga instructor, you're jumping from one thing to the next. I'm like, where's the common denominator in that? And a lot of people, it's an uncomfortable question, myself included, when I have to kind of put the mirror back on myself. I'm like, well, I'm the common denominator. I'm like, I'm making the same mistakes with different people in my case, but we all have a version of that. And I think once you realize that, it makes it so much easier because then you can start navigating in a different direction. But making too many changes too soon is 100% a recipe for failure because very few people are able to stick with too many changes. It's starting and building on small wins, focusing on small wins, and then gradually building up as you go along. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the same with... I mean, as you said, it's the same with fitness, with yoga, anything that most people are not like you, Brian, that they don't like working out. No, as in, they're not the same most, but there's a good chunk. We're of a small percentage. Because, yeah, there's a small percentage. I'm totally aware I'm in that small percentage bracket. <laughs> you know, and, and but f f um, for me, practicing yoga movement is like a, it's time to be it myself without feeling like I have to produce something. Uh, I, I, like I often feel like i cannot stop i can't have downtime i'm always thinking about what's the next thing what is and i and i love that i'm, I'm excited that um there's so much opportunity uh, joe rogan said you know uh, joe rogan said once he wishes he could live a hundred lifetimes because there's so much to do and i completely agree with that but at the same time i think for your the preservation of the intellectual mind to just keep your creativity you need time where you're on your own it could be running, it could be working out, it could be doing yoga, where you have a chance to observe your thoughts, to kind of um, uh, let off uh, energy, but also create energy. Because as you said, Brian, when you stop eating, oh, sorry, excuse me, when you stop working out or moving, I've noticed this as well, it correlates to eating poorly. I think because sometimes we think like if we work out or practice yoga it's going to make us tired but in fact it gives us energy and therefore we don't need that energy as much from artificial uh, sources like um like sugars and, and foods um but and plus as well when you're feeling in a a slump and you you kind of can't get out of a rut that you're in in terms of looking after your physical health it's so easy to seek that comfort in food and i can see how with me and Rach, let's say um, another bit of news, which I just happened today. Actually, I got engaged, so oh, man, I'm going to get that married. Is Sorry, 
So I don't mean to be like uh, dropping all the news bombs on, on one podcast, but um, <laughs> but basically, and it's not because <laughs> shotgun wedding. No, it's not because Rachel's <laughs> pregnant. By the way, all right. <laughs> okay, just uh, just bury. Just put that out there. We're not living in like the 1950s anymore, but um, no. We're, so we got we got engaged uh, officially actually two days ago, but like today it was made public. And um, but what I've realised is I'm going to be married, right? And when I think of a married man, I think of a geezer with like a bit of a gut on him, you know, just standing at the barbecue. Talks about oh, when I was in my twenties, I used to, I had trials for Aston Villa, or I uh, could have been a runner, or, or you know whatever, and uh, you know life got in the way. And it's funny, I think like the dads of this generation are going to be completely different. I think like we're so health conscious now. I could see myself. I don't see myself. Uh, I don't mean to. I want to put this in a way that I don't offend anyone, but I don't see myself letting myself go. All right. I, I don't see myself going back to how I was when I was in my mid 20s and now I'm in my mid 30s. But what I am conscious of, and I want to ask you about this, is like we're going to have a little girl in a few months. You've got a little girl. Um, and h- how does that change like your schedule and just, uh, your whole life in terms of the health and fitness side of things? Oh, it changed it so much for the better. Like, um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, and I'll, I'll dissect on that. But it's, it's way better. Like, it, it's weird because you'll feel this. I remember when, and I'm not with Holly's mom. We have a great relationship. She's incredible. Um, but we're not together. But I remember when she was pregnant, uh, one of my friends was telling me that the day the woman gets pregnant is the day she feels like a mom. And the day your daughter or son is born is the day the dad feels like a father. And that's, it's it's a weird one, but I remember that's how I felt. It was as if, I'll never forget that day, 25th of May, 2015. Like it was, I remember I went from, I was competing at the time in bodybuilding. I was traveling around the world as a professional fitness model. I was working one-to-one as a personal trainer. And I had all these goals. I had all these aspirations in that area in particular. And I remember the day she was born, it all changed. It literally, for the better, it all just flipped I remember I was preparing for a show, which was the, the the WBFF World in Las Vegas in 2015, August 2015. And I remember the day my daughter was born. The next morning when I woke up, I'm like, this will be my last show. I was like, I'm, I'm not competing again. I It was one of those... It felt like I had taken a 3,500-foot view on my life, and it wasn't just about me anymore. And I was like, I'm being really selfish. This sport I'm in, and again, this isn't a criticism of bodybuilding, fitness modeling, etc. This was just my perspective at the time. I'm like, this sport is too selfish for what I wanted to do. And when she came along, you start to see everything in a different area. So I moved online. And partly one of the reasons I moved online was I wanted to be in control of my time. Like... And it's funny you talked about dads earlier and your kind of stereotypical view of a dad, a little bit of a gut, etc. And I have always kind of looked up to certain positive role models that have influenced me. Some I've met, some I haven't. And I always wanted to be the dad that could go to, say, Christmas recital. You know, I, one of the things that when I was a kid, like my both my parents worked. They worked themselves to the bone. We didn't have a lot of money growing up. And... I remember like, you know, they could never make Christmas recitals. They could never, like they couldn't, they were working. And I think I get a lot of determination and drive to succeed in say my profession and what I do, because I saw what it took to be successful in professions to kind of start from zero and kind of build their way up, which both my parents did. And, but I also remember when Holly was born, I'm like, I want to be the guy that can just take a Friday off and go to a school recital. Mm. I want to be able to take her to the playground after work. I don't want to be doing a job that, is completely dependent on me being there all the time where I put her on hold. And so I started to design a life that was going to be more conducive to how I wanted it to look. And I think that's where a lot of the shift changed because I make a lot of my decisions now based on my interaction with Holly. And like, I'm like, now I've started, for example, I ran a hundred mile ultramarathon in Vegas, in, in Nevada mm. in February. And I took 
Holly with me. You know, I took my mom and I took Holly with me. So we, we did a week in, in Nevada and in Vegas, like in a nice hotel. We weren't in a casino hotel. We were in like one of the nice family hotels with like a big massive pool. Um, and she's still talking about it. You know, it's June now. And she's still <laughs> talking about what we were doing in Vegas because she loved it. And I that is just a, a kind of a shift. I'm in a very fortunate position. I don't want to say that to be like, this is what other people should do. Like I'm in a very fortunate position with my life, with my business, with my finances, etc. I can do things like that. But it all changed when she was born because you started making decisions for two, you know, or you started making decisions for three, maybe in your case, or for, you know, family decisions, as opposed to embarrassingly, Kev, I was, I would have been selfish and I still am to a degree. I think you always have to look after yourself first to a degree. Like, and I do think that's a little bit of a misconception. Mums more so than dads, from my experience, where they give everything to their family. Um, guys sometimes do it with their jobs, sometimes with their family as well, where I'm like, you can't give from an empty cup. You know, one of the, the analogies I use in the book is, you know, when you're on a plane, Kev, and they tell you and they're doing the safety message at the start of the flight, and they tell you if the oxygen mask comes down, I'm like, what do they tell you to do? Do they tell you to put it on your kid first? Like, no, they tell mm -hmm. you to put it on you. They say, put on, secure your own oxygen mask and then put it on your children or elderly people or the people around you. And I think that that's what health and fitness, yoga, gym, working out, whatever it is that you like doing, I think that's represents that because to be the best dad to be the best mom to be the best parent to be the best whatever you have to look after yourself so i do think being slightly selfish is quite a selfless thing to do to give to your family i know rogan talks about this a lot and but that being said i had an imbalance prior to her being born i was very much focused on my goals and just hitting my targets and once she came along that decision process changed because you were taking somebody else into account so it's the same as any fitness goal it's the same as any yoga goal it's the same as any business goal I just asked myself what do I want my life to look like I'm like what do I want myself to look like as a parent and I and I still do that to this day like I'm a, I, I'm what I call a kite flying parent you know you get like helicopter parents where you know they're like circling over the kids doing everything I'm I'm what I call like a kite flying parent where I'm very aware that I'm not going to be around all the time for every decision she makes ever. Like a little bit more now because she's five, but when she's 15, that's not going to be the case. So mm. I'm very aware. I think of it like the wind. I'm like, when you're flying a kite, you can control how you hold the kite, but you can't control which way the wind blows. And that's how mm. I think about when I think about parenting. I'm like, I can control what messages I give her. And what kind of person she becomes at the core in terms of principles and things that are important to focus on. Being kind, you know, being respectful, having manners. But I can't control the way the wind blows. I can't control the external things that happens to her. And I think that helps me a lot. And I think if you're someone that comes from kind of a high anxiety place, which is where I can come from at times if I'm not careful, it's, mm. it's important to realize the things that are in your control. You know, I love the another quote from the bible you swear i was a bible person not like I'm, I'm so far from it um but i love the you know the serenity prayer god grant me the serenity to understand the things that i can't change the courage to change the things that i can and the wisdom to know the difference and i think that's how i think about parenting and you'll turn out the kind of dad for you kevin for anyone listening or the kind of mom that you decide you want to be i think it's the same as everything whatever you bring conscious thought to whatever you bring awareness to you're going to improve on like if you want to just ignore and bury your head in the sand like an ostrich and be that kind of parent then that's what might happen you know i did that in other areas of my life where i would just ignore problems and i would bury my head in the sand and i would just tell myself that they weren't a problem and i would numb out with you know alcohol or drugs or tv or whatever it was escapism it's anything that would just get me out of the moment because i wasn't comfortable and i was happier it's the you know the old adage ignorance is bliss like i was just happier to bury my head in the sand and when holly was born i had certain fears and certain worries some of them were projections some of them were just worries that i was projecting onto her which isn't a good way to be either i'm like i don't want to bring up my own shit and my own insecurities and onto her but unless I bring awareness to that, that can happen automatically. Like we tend to, you know, parent like we were parented. We tend to use things in our environment and that have happened to us in the past and they can repeat themselves in my experience anyway. So being aware of that, I think is important. And when you're making decisions going forward, 
realize that you have to look after yourself first. But once you do that, everything else is so much better. Like I wouldn't trade it for anything. Like if I'm being completely honest, like my life is so much better because she's here. Like, mm-hmm. and yours would be the same. Your business would probably grow. You'll probably do better. Maybe not for the first 12 months. Like that whole sleep pattern is like all over the place yeah. for the first six, 12 months. But after that, it's everything is so much better because the, I'm not sure if you'll be the same, Kev, but definitely let me know when, you, when it happens and when, when your daughter's born is your, the things that you once thought were important become less important. And, mm. and I think that helps if you're similar to me and anybody listening to this is similar to me where you can struggle with balance. And one of the kind of superpowers I have, which is also a curse, is I can get super tunnel visioned on things and super focused on things which is great for business, it's great for fitness goals because I can become very tunnel visioned but at the expense of everything else and that's the kind of the curse of it and what happened when Holly was born was automatically started to split things in my life. The things that I once thought were important weren't important. Like if you would ask me, you know, six months before she was born, I'm like finishing top 10 in the world. I'm like, that is the most important thing in the pla- on the planet right now to me and then when she was born, I'm like, right, I'm going to do that show and then that's it, I'm done, I'm out of this. I'm like, this just isn't important to me anymore. And I started to focus more on what was really valuable as opposed to putting too much emphasis on some of the junk values that I had. Um, so yeah, that's a long-winded way. Sorry, I didn't mean to go off on that massive tangent. No, no, but, uh, that was but great. Yeah, you actually yeah. brought up a really important point about priorities changing because see the way I started that question talking about, um, you know, when I become a dad, I want, I want to let myself go. That's because at the moment, for me, being fit and being in shape for want of a better way of phrasing it is important to me two reasons i used to be really out of shape when i was in my mid-20s and very self-conscious about that and then i i started to turn that around and then obviously that's why i do this part of the reason why i do this for a living because i i'm like you know it's good to feel good in your body but um i i i'm ready and i'm expecting that when i do have this child as as you said when we do have this child as you said that my priorities are going to change what i that what and because we're all we're all evolving and i do think that i am so kind of obsessed at the moment with just like pushing forward and keeping challenging myself and new projects and what can i i I do next that excites me but i but i i do i think that uh, my priority I can still really feel it shifting towards just being a really great dad you know for example and I talked about this to someone oh damn it who was it on the other uh, the other day about um I mean even with Rach for example Brian you you, you know with with the phone being self-employed it's so easy to never be off your phone to be constantly on it and thinking I'll just send one more message and I'll just get back to that person and then you find that you're half listening to your partner your girlfriend whoever and you so what I've done now instead is I have a loft and I have my podcast studio here and I have a separate PC and this is now my office and downstairs is where I spend time at Rach I don't mix the two so I'm either working uh, and I'm focused on that 100% or I'm with Rach and I'm focused on her 100% because when you try and compromise that's when things suffer and I've realized I've knit this in the bud now before we have this uh, our first kid because I don't want to be thinking to myself, well, look, you know, if your dad is working a bit harder, it means we're more secure, we're going to have a better life and I'm doing this for you. Instead of, will you just spend a bit of time uh, playing dolls with her or I don't know what girls do? Yeah, I'm sure I'll find out. (laughs) But, um, you know, that's more important than... than uh, to be present basically and I've, I'm not, I want to ask you about this Brian because you are pretty prolific on social media and um, but I've noticed like looking through your work just on Instagram that I think there's like one picture of your daughter I think that's all I saw of Holly like it was I think it was um, a throwback for saying like four years ago Holly was born and it's all uh, it's very focused which I think it should be personally I think you know uh, sometimes we if we don't know what why we're on social media, we get lost on there and we end up just consuming and posting everything. Um, but my question, my question is for you. Um, how, how, how do you manage your consumption of social media? This is something that I've got very good with um, in recent years. And to be honest, it came off the back of 
something that I don't really like talking about, but I do talk about it because I think it helps people, is I had a massive disconnect. I remember when Holly was about two years of age, because when you'll see this, Kev, as you go through, like from two years on, it's just the best. Like, you know, when when they're two, they're so cute. When they're three, they're just, they're brilliant. And it just gets better every year. And and I know how it kind of goes because I worked as a primary school teacher for years. So I'm familiar with kids from the ages of five up. So um, I know how much fun they can be. But when Holly was two, I remember I had a disconnect. Now, also at the time, I would post her on my social media, etc. And I don't post her on it anymore, which I'll come back to. But at the time, I remember my words weren't mapping to my actions. And I would tell people and I would tell myself, which is worse, that I'm like, well, my daughter's the most important person to me. Yet, when she was doing something or playing a game, I'd be on my phone scrolling through Instagram. And I remember thinking I would tell her how important she was. I'm like, but my actions weren't mapping to what my words were saying. I'm like, either consciously or subconsciously, I was sending her a signal that this thing in my hand was more important than her. And it wasn't until I was able to recognize that, that I'm like, that's not, I I don't want that to be the case. I don't want her either to consciously or subconsciously, whatever it is, to think that this thing is more important than her. So I had to start changing my actions. So a few things that I do. One, I generally don't go on social media at all at weekends. So I have every week, Mm. not so much with with COVID now over the last, you know, the C word over the last few months, but every Saturday normally, I have like a daddy-daughter day with Holly. So it's just me and her. Her mom's not there. Her nan's not there. It's just me and her. You know, we go swimming. We go to the cinema. We go to the playground. We do something together that's just me and her. And my phone's never with me for that. And that represents how I spend all my time with her. That if I'm on the phone and if I'm working, as you said, you made such a great point. Like when you run your own business, when you're online, you could be on it all the time because there's always an email to reply to. There's always a message to reply to. There's always something to post. So my relationship with social media is very good now because I don't do that. When I'm on social media, I'm on social media. And one of the... It's going to sound controversial to even say this, but this happened to me last week with the uh, the Black Lives Matter campaign, the um, the recent Black Lives Matter, because I'm not a great consumer of social media in the sense that when I'm on Instagram, I'm posting something to my page or I'm replying to DMs. And I remember one of the girl, a girl, random girl who was following me, messaged me in the morning um, of that Black Lives Matter. And she goes, why the, f- I don't know if I can swear on your podcast, but she was like, why, yeah, she was like, why the fuck haven't you done the Black Lives Matter thing? Um, and I was like, I replied, I was like, what's the Black Lives Matter? Because I hadn't been on my feed, I hadn't been on my stories, and this was like nine o'clock in the morning, 10 o'clock in the morning, and she went through me. Like, the next message, like, again, I'm never going to take offense to this. Like, for anyone that ever attacks me for something I don't know, like, it's the same, the analogy I use is, like a German person attacking me for not being able to speak German. I'm like, I'm not going to get offended if somebody attacks me for something I don't know. Um, and she just went through me. And then I Googled it. And I'm like, oh shit, that's today. Um, so I wrote back and she was like, right, you're whatever. Call me every name under the sun. And I then did the Black Lives Matter, the Blackout Tuesday, etc. Because I'm like, yeah, this is a really important cause. For me, again, each to their own. Some people did it, some people didn't. It, it's totally to the individual. But I my consumption behavior on social media isn't great because I was too much of a consumer before. And a lot of the, when you, my relationship wasn't that healthy with social media. And one of the things that I get asked quite a lot is, do you think TikTok or do you think Instagram or do you think Facebook is good, bad, or indifferent, or whatever language you want to put in it. And I answer the same every time. I was like, I don't think any of it's good or bad. I think it's your relationship to it that is good or bad. And it wasn't until I removed myself from the consumption behavior that I had where I was spending every waking minute on Instagram and started to kind of realize that was a junk value, that I was either consciously or subconsciously valuing my amount of following, the amount of likes, the amount of interaction I would have on social media versus Holly being here in front of me at two years of age playing a game when I should be down there playing with her. And mm-hmm. it made me better and made my relationship better with social media. So now 
I now that the downside is you get attacked by you know that girl that attacked me because of the Black Lives Matter. Like that's the downside. But you know, I spoke about this in the book. I speak about it in the podcast. Like people are always going to project their shit onto you. Like you know, it's not. Sometimes you have to be a wall for it. Sometimes you have to be able to rebound it back. Like that didn't offend me at all because I'm like I I didn't know. Like I'm not going to get offended over something that I didn't know at the time. And mm. as a result of that, that's the downside. But it's worth the downside the other downside is you're not going to get me on social media on a saturday or sunday because i don't check it but mm. i'm really good in it monday to friday replying to people in the mornings replying to people in the evenings etc so i'm good with my audience and following my audience so my relationship as someone that had a very poor relationship with social media now it's significantly better and i don't post holly on my channels for a couple of reasons um ironically she loves social media she she like we make we make tiktoks all the time so i have loads of uh, tiktoks of holly that aren't posted they're just private because she loves making videos like her mom is big on social media as well um and she you know she posts her but my following is larger so i generally don't because what was happening a couple of years ago it happened twice very in very quick succession where my mom got stopped on shop street in galway from somebody who recognized Holly from my Snapchat at the time and mm -hmm. were, was, was, was either asking to say hello to Holly or was asking for a photo with Holly, which, again, people do different things. I remember at the time, it was freaking my mum out. So I'm like, right, that's, that's fine. I'm just not going to post her on my social media anymore. So that's where that came from. Um, and now I use it sometimes as an example for people to how to navigate the world of Instagram or social media. And I use Holly as the example. I'm like the most important person in my world by a mile. Like there's not even a close second is nowhere to be seen on my social media. And when I don't talk about her on podcasts, you wouldn't even know. Like people on TikTok are like, you have a daughter? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, she's the best thing in my life. And I use that as an example for people that you will see what people want you to see on social media. You will see yeah. the curated content of what people want you to see on Instagram. So don't ever feel bad that you don't look a certain way or have a certain thing or are in a relationship or a job or whatever it is that you would like to be in because you see somebody else in it. that comparison syndrome kicking in. And part of the reason now it serves that purpose where I'll use it as an example. Um, but I stopped posting her years back. I have that throwback photo from the day she was born. Um, yeah, I did it on a throwback Thursday. And that's further down on my Instagram. Um, yeah, and like it's, it's, it's being aware of priorities. Like Holly's cute as fuck. Like, you know, she's five. She's super charismatic. Like she loves being in front of the camera. Like, you know, her mom is similar. Like she's like, I'm biased. Um, but, you know, Holly's beautiful. Like, you know, her mom is beautiful. Like she, she's got her mom's looks. And it's she would do great and i would i would get way more likes on a photo if i put up a photo of me and her like but that comes down to my priorities as well i'm like that's yeah. not important to me i'm like it's important to me that i'm present with her when we're doing our daddy daughter day it's important to me that she knows she can come to me with things like i have very few strict rules as a parent the only one that she has to stick to is she's to never lie i'm like never lie to me i'm like that's the only mm. one rule that i reinforce and there's no leeway on everything else is open for negotiation the food that she eats the things that she does i'm open for negotiation the one that i'm not is lying because i'm thinking about in a time in 10 years when something bad happens and mm. i need to know the truth in order for me to be able to help her. And I'm laying that groundwork now so that that's the relationship that I'm able to cultivate over the next 10 years because that day is coming. Like I'm not living in this bubble world of everything's perfect. I'm like a day is going to come when something fucking shit happens. And it's about what do you do on that day? And all I can do now is set up an environment that I can potentially deal with that when it comes and then just be happy and present in the moment if it doesn't. And constantly thinking about that thinking about social media thinking about my priorities as a parent i think that serves me well um, and i'm not telling anybody else that's what they have to do by all means i am not a parenting expert that is just what i'm doing and making sure that i don't get stuck with the forest amongst the trees um but that's my approach to it and it's it's been working so far but uh check back with me in 30 years time and we'll see if it works <laughs> uh, you, you know you mentioned at the, at the start of our chat that about the marmite analogy saying some people like you some people not your, they're not your you're not their cup of tea let's you're say you're not their cup of tea uh, but you're someone's shot of whiskey it's my mum used to always <laughs> that's great yeah i mean but i think uh, well, i heard someone say something like 
um, being liked or not being liked is not the important thing, or not the important thing. It's not if if no one knows you, that's the that's the real. Like if you're not, uh, you need. To, it's important that you you can make people feel something, and often we make some people feel good. Some people like you give people joy, maybe laughter. There are there's always going to be probability wise. The more your numbers go up in terms of the more people that are engaging with you, the more there's chances are going to be people that don't. Uh, agree with you what do you do brian if you do if you receive say emails so something that's a bit more formal that um don't like something you said or object to a podcast episode you made um what do you do with that information do you reply uh yeah i reply to nearly everything maybe not emails because i i don't like email as a platform full stop um so i actually outsource most of my emails but if that comes in (laughs) through instagram dm for example or a comment on dm uh, or a comment on a post i reply to everything the the positive and the negative um so a couple of things one i one of the things that doing endurance events has taught me is and a principle is to never get too high on the highs and never get too low on the lows and Mm. that's how I approach a lot of comments that come in my direction the nicest comments that come in my way and to be honest I'm very fortunate even though I talk about I'm Marmite for people 99.9% of all interactions on social media for me are all positive like for the most part you know you'll always have it's just the law of probabilities you're going to have a certain amount of people following you some people aren't going to like yeah that's either on them it's on you it's on whatever and I don't get too high on the good comments the same way as I don't get too low on the negative comments and Mm. I always think about as you mentioned there it's a very interesting point that as long as you're making people feel something and I have been a long time subscriber that the opposite of love isn't hate the opposite of love is indifference and yeah yeah yeah, and I think I think that's so true like I I actually genuinely think that hate is just the lowest form of love I'm like if you've got somebody (laughs) yeah if you've got somebody to to get so triggered that they feel like they need to respond to you in a negative way. I'm like, they're just on a very, very, very low podium of love. I'm like, (laughs) if there was an indifference and it didn't hit them at all, you aren't connecting with them for any reason. So I I do genuinely think that when I get negative comments from people. Um, But also, being honest, Kev, I use it as a feedback. Like, if sometimes I can see, very obviously, when somebody's just projecting their insecurity onto me. That, the girl I talked about earlier, who obviously has her own life story where people didn't promote what she expected, or probably it wasn't even a promotion of expectations. It was probably in expectations of what people that are in a, an authoritative position should be promoting or should be talking about, etc. That's yeah. all her story projected onto me. I just happen to be the recipient of that negative hate on that particular day i'm like there's no point me getting offended by that like i was like it's wrong place wrong you know wrong day wrong time wrong place and that doesn't offend me also i apply what i call like the purple polar bear strategy so that comment didn't Mm -hmm. bother me because i'm like it's not true I'm like, everything she said about, you know, you're living in bliss and you should be promoting this and you're a twat and da-da-da. I'm like, okay. I'm like, none of that's true because when I found out what she was on about, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a great cause. I want to be part of this. And so I didn't get offended or I didn't get angry at it. But if I had, I would have to ask myself why. And what normally happens is a really uncomfortable self-reflection that you have to ask yourself, why did a negative comment hurt you? And the analogy I always use is that of a purple polar bear. I'm like, if somebody calls you, you know, a fat, ugly twat, and you're like, okay, that really hurt. I'm like, that's a really hurtful comment. And you're like, well, why did it hurt? It's like, well, because a part of you either thinks it's true or a part of you isn't secure enough to deal with it. Like somebody can call me a fat, ignorant twat. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm like, that doesn't really land with me. But there are other things that will land. Somebody will say, you know, certain, I remember... I got feedback from a podcast once, a really good example. I remember somebody gave me feedback on a com- on a podcast and I, because you've already noticed on this, I already had to ask you about asking for swearing. Like I tend to swear a lot on my casual speak and I remember somebody sent me, it, was, it wasn't actually a negative email. It was a very helpful email, but they were making the comment that, look, you swear way more than your guest and it's really off-putting. And I remember thinking, fuck that person. <laughs> like, you know, uh, that was like my go-to. And then I remember thinking, oh, why did that bother me? I'm like, why did that comment even land? Mm. I'm like, if somebody had said, Brian, you're a purple polar bear on your podcast. 
I'm like, all right, okay, cool. You would just brush it right off. It wouldn't land or connect with you at all. But when he said, look, you swear too much and it's really off-putting, I'm like, that bothered me. So I had to ask why. I'm like, why? Why is this comment bothering me when if he just called me a purple polar bear, that wouldn't have bothered me at all? And it was because he's right. I remember thinking, yeah, I, I probably swear too much, especially when I'm interviewing somebody who doesn't swear. I'm like, I should rein that back. That will make me a better interviewer if I can do that. And that was oh, 120 episodes ago. I remember thinking, yeah, that's a good feedback to match the tone of the person I'm interviewing, etc. And I use that purple polar bear every single time I get a negative comment where it connects with me and it hits because to contrast that with the girl who messaged last week, that didn't bother me at all. You know, it's great to use it as an example on a podcast, but I, I can honestly say there was no emotional, you know, fuck her, what does she know, any of that. I was just like, all right, cool, I'm being, this is her issue that she's projected onto me because what she was saying didn't feel true to me. But when it does ring true, you have to ask yourself why. And it's the same as somebody calls me, you know, you're fat and stupid. I'm like, I'm like I'm, I don't think I am. I don't think I'm either of those things. You know, again, it depends what your representation of stupid is, etc. But I don't think I'm either of those things. So if somebody says that to me, it doesn't bother me. But I have other trigger words and I have other triggers that bother me. But you can use it as feedback that anytime anybody connects with you or says something about you that isn't a purple polar bear and it is emotionally making you feel angry or a reaction, just ask yourself why. And I think when you can dig into the root of that, you end up getting to the root of a lot of insecurities that you might have. But that's where the gold is. You know, it's the, you know, digging deep to find the gold. But when yeah. you do it, it tends to have a very positive effect in all areas of your life. That's such a good point because, I, I mean, as you said, Brian, like, and I'm not surprised to hear 99.9% .9 of people love your work. But as you said, it, there's the, the, sometimes that 0.1% that... I, I think our instinct is to survive, and then after that, it's to thrive. And so therefore, if we get uh, 99 lovely comments and one isn't, we tend to focus on that one because we're like, how, what, like, I need to... We're looking out for the, the bad news. This is why when we turn on the news, it's all bad news. It's not good news because we're... we're hardwired to find out what the danger is what is a threat to us um to survive um but that's so interesting that you're complete i'm really going to take that on board now you know when something lands with you as you said like you get defensive about it it maybe is something uh i'm not saying you we need to address and that is that is the the act of because you said as an interviewer it's almost like you want the person we want the person we're speaking to to feel like we're with them we're mirror matching them so if I, if I meet someone who's a bit posher than me I'll speak a bit posher if I meet someone who's a bit like more working class than me I'll speak a bit more working class I just automatically and I think that uh, mirroring and matching people is is uh, a good skill to have in general so that what that person said and you, and you um, fair play to you for kind of looking at that and examining that comment because that's how we we can kind of uh, learn more about ourselves and, and become uh, better communicators. And Brian, I, I'm a conscious you, you're a very busy man and we've done an hour. I wanted to ask you one more thing if you don't mind. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> um, so we, last time we spoke, two years ago, you hinted at a... Uh, how can I put, say this? You hinted at... Um, a possible development in your uh, your work and that was within audio I think you might have mentioned Alexa or recording audio content for some on-demand service did that ever materialize yeah I tested it and experimented with it and one of the things that I've learned and just to go off on kind of a, a side input like from say some of the personal financial investments that I've made that the right idea at the wrong time is still the wrong idea. And <laughs> yeah. and that's how I feel about Alexa and voice. I was going very, dipping my toe in the water on that, thinking this is going to be the next thing. And I still think it's potentially going to be the future because when every time I go to the US for either work or personal life, I can see a lot of voice activation stuff that seems to be replacing Google now. Um, so I do think it's probably still the right thing. Just I was potentially two or three years early on it, um, which is the same as being wrong, um, by the way. So it's, it's helpful. Um, but I, I'm always keeping an eye out on different spaces 
that could potentially be ways to communicate your message because like it's the same thing like people that listen to me people that listen to you kev like we're saying largely the same message it's just that the distribution of that message is going to change and i think when you're a business owner and you're promoting that message through books through podcasts through online etc all you're doing is looking for the different distribution channels to promote that message and two years ago i thought it was going to be alexa and voice and i still think it probably will be so i'm keeping an eye on it um it just didn't transpire the way i thought it was um but again the right idea potentially at the wrong time is still the wrong idea Mm, yeah, this, it's int- I mean, now everyone's in a, a s- <laughs> in the last two months, everyone's been propelled into the same forum where we're all now being recorded and we're all being, we're all doing Zoom classes. And sometimes the studios that we're doing them through, if you are doing them through studios, they're recording the Zoom classes. And then it's like, right, now our voice, our image, our, uh, our, um, we are being recorded constantly so it's it opens up a very interesting uh point to consider i mean i'm not going to go down the rabbit hole of copyright and stuff like that because that's another conversation but it does think you think to yourself like if you're going to teach if you're going to be a coach it's probably wise to record content and to keep a record of it because that can be reused whether it's video audio and um as you as you said i think audio is is definitely one to watch out for but it has to be uh, right time uh, and uh, and the right idea um brian mate i'm i I, again i know you're a busy man i don't want to um outstay my welcome uh it's been a real pleasure catching up with you i've uh i could chat to you all day but obviously we can't do that (laughs) (laughs) kev if i I, mean i would chat for another hour if i didn't have another podcast directly after this it's been an absolute (laughs) pleasure catching up yeah, and you may. And so, listen. Um, I'll uh, I'll catch up with you again. And um, and if people want to to, to find you, they go to Brian Keen Fitness and uh, check out uh, Brian's books. Um, if you want a shot of enthusiasm for your day, give Brian a go. That's <laughs> that sounds a bit. That sounds a bit weird. I'll totally take it. I'm like not everybody's cup of tea, but somebody's shot of enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah, uh, Brian. Listen. Um, thanks so much, mate. My pleasure. Let's have a catch up again soon, real soon. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed that. Please leave a review on iTunes or maybe share it with a friend if you enjoyed the episode. Please also get in touch if you've got any questions. If you would like to practice yoga with me, you can do that online. If you'd like to get in touch with Brian, his website is briankeenfitness.com. I'm kevinboyleyoga.ie. Really appreciate you taking an hour out to listen to us chat. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Until next week, look after yourself.